Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Pickett. Hey, today I'm with uh, Jeff Hayden. Uh, Jeff is a well-known LinkedIn influencer, uh, a well-known writer for Inc. Magazine, and the author of Motivation Myth, uh, which is one of the best business books I've uh, read in quite a long time. So uh, I'm happy to have Jeff here with us and uh, say hello, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. It is definitely my pleasure. So, hey, I loved, uh, like I said, I loved your book. What was the, uh, what was the motivation uh, to write that thing for you? <laughs> um, well, one, writers write. Um, and two, people who make a living writing uh, write things so that they get paid. Uh, but way past that, um, I'll I guess I'll tell a story and I've told before. I was talking to Kirk Hammett, the Metallica guitarist, which, you know, if you're going to drop a name, Kirk's is a good name to drop. And it struck me that as he talked about this 40 year long career, hundred and some million albums they've sold, they still sell out stadiums and things. He never had this moment where he had this like lightning bolt of motivation that said, oh my gosh, I want to be a rock star. And it carried him through all the years of practice and achieving talent and struggle and strife and long bus rides and all that other stuff. He, he just looked at his guitar one day, which he had put in the closet for some months and said, you know, I think I'd like to play that better. That was his lightning bolt, which is a very small lightning bolt. And then he just worked at his craft. And I, I thought about all the other successful people that I'm fortunate enough to get to talk to. And none of them had this spectacular moment of clarity that said, this is what I want to be. This is all the motivation I need to take me where I want to go. And I contrasted that with lots of people that I talked to who say, I feel stuck. I'm not sure what to do. I, I can't find the motivation to chase some of the things I want to do. And they're all waiting for motivation to come to them. And so the premise of the book is that motivation is actually something you can create. You don't get it from somewhere else and you definitely don't have to wait for it to strike you. Motivation comes from picking something you're interested in, even mildly, working to get a little better at it, to know more about it, to accomplish something within it, whatever you're doing, and then enjoying the little small successes that come with gradual improvement which give you little bursts of motivation to go the next day. So if you do something today and you accomplish something very small, you get to feel good about that. That makes you happy. That gives you the motivation to get up tomorrow and do it again. And so motivation becomes this long, self, self-sustaining burst of a flywheel that takes you along and takes you to where you want to go. So I guess the ultimate message is that if you are waiting for motivation to come to you, stop waiting, start doing something, and you will find the motivation in the fact that you are putting out effort and getting those small wins. Yeah, I think that was the one thing that I, the one big takeaway I took was, you know, big victories come in small steps. And you you, know, you you really skip the the MBA analysis and you say, you know, you, you tell people to break things down 
into little pieces. And um, anybody that can do 100,000 push-ups in a year, <laughs> as you did, um, I, I, yeah, you obviously broke it down. Uh, uh, well, a that, bit well here's, the, here's the point of that, because it is a silly thing. You know, we're, we're taught that, you know, SMART goals, that acronym, and I think the M stands for meaningful. And, you know, your goal has to have meaning to you or you won't stick to it. So I, I tried an experiment, and that was the 100,000 push-ups thing. It was just all right, this goal has no meaning to me whatsoever because who cares if I do 100,000 push-ups in a year? And is it going to get me anywhere in life? No, not really. Although in a minute, I will argue that it did. But not really. And so I just broke it down and said, what is that a day? And if I keep my head down and do what I am supposed to do every day, at the end of this long period of time, I will have accumulated this really cool number and this kind of odd, but still kind of cool uh, accomplishment. And so that's the point is that your goal doesn't have to be this thing that is your passion in life in order for you to find motivation to achieve it. And the other side of it is, you know, we're also taught that you have to have this laser-like focus on this goal. So you come up with a big, hairy, audacious goal, whatever that, that is, and, you know, you've got to focus on it all the time, and it's got to be in the forefront of your mind, and you've always got to be thinking about it. And I think that is the wrong way to go as well, because if you're thinking Let's say you want to run a marathon and you're not a runner. If you go run today and you do a mile because it's all you can do and it's what you were supposed to do, you come home and you feel terrible and you're laying on the couch and your knees hurt and it's just awful. If you pop your head up and look across the 26 miles that you have to run and say, oh my gosh, someday I have to run that far, you're going to quit. That focus on the 26, it's too daunting because the distance between here, which is where you are right now, out of shape and not a runner, to there where you have to do 26 miles, it's too big. And so you quit. And so to me, you pick some big goal and that's great. You should have big goals, but then you let the goal inform the process that you create that will allow you to get there. And once you have your process and know your plan, forget the big goal and just focus on the day-to-day and accomplishing the steps in your plan. And at some point, you'll pop your head up and say, wow, I'm really close to the end. And you won't have gotten defeated by the distance that you early on know that you have to traverse. Now, you've interviewed, you know, you obviously dropped one name and you've interviewed, you know, hundreds of very successful business executives, athletes, entertainers. Do they all operate under the same... Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I don't know any of them. You know, it's popular to think about, hey, you know, how do I hack my way to success? Or how do I find this cool shortcut? Or, you know, there's there's some trick. And I don't know any of them that have any tricks or any hacks or any shortcuts. Even Tim Ferriss, you know, he kind of helped popularize the idea of business hacks or just hacks in general. But he works his ass off. So, you know, the four-hour workweek thing was, was... well, we won't talk about that because uh, I loved him and I like the book too. The point is though that people that succeed at a high level, they worked really, really hard and they did it day after day, almost relentlessly. And that, that's how they got to the place that they are. And so while you know, I could talk to a bunch of people and, and they wouldn't necessarily describe their journey the way I just did in terms of how motivation works because they weren't really thinking of it that way. In effect, that's what they did. They said, okay, I want to get to there. What are the steps that are going to get me there? Who can I emulate that has done that? What role models can I pull together? What roadmap can I find? Because you don't need to reinvent perfectly good wheels. There are great wheels out there already. And 
I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do the work and I'm going to be the last one that quits. I'm going to be the one that doesn't give up. I'm going to be the one that hangs in there. And that's, I've yet to meet a really, really successful person that actually didn't work harder than almost everyone else around them. Yeah. So long, consistent basis. So uh, Richard Branson wasn't born with an X factor. He just worked real hard early on to get where he is. And I'm sure that they're, you know, we're all born with different, you know, I'm decidedly average, (laughs) which I guess is a positive in a way, you know, but everybody has unique skills and talents and, you know, everybody has a different blend of experience and education and connections and all of those things. But, you know, you got a guy, I said something about Kirk Hammett. He, he was signed, he was in Metallica. They had a record deal, which, you know, you would think makes you rich, but it doesn't. And he was still riding his bicycle 25 miles one way to take guitar lessons from Joe Satriani because he didn't have enough money to buy a car. So here you are, you're living the quote unquote rock star lifestyle, but he had no money and he was willing to work really hard to get to where he wanted to be. And he probably was doing stuff that most people wouldn't have done. I, I would, that's, that's, you know, 25 miles each way is, uh, that's, that's a lot of motivation. Um, but going back to you know, Joe Satriani, you know, part yep. of your, part of your book, and I loved it. Um, you talked about, you know, don't hire a coach, yep. hire a pro. Yep. Do you, do you <laughs> which, think we've got a lot of people who are in the coaching business, especially like business coaches. <laughs> I've, I've taken a fair bit of heat for that. Um, the point of that is though, if, if we use my marathon example, so say you decide you want to run a marathon and you go to your local gym and there's a personal trainer there, nothing against personal trainers, but just work with me. And you say, Hey, I would like to run a marathon. Well, they have a process they're going to go through and they're going to assess where you stand now. And they're going to talk about your interests and talk about the time you have available. And they're going to come up with this plan that's kind of gently supposed to get you where you want to go. In all likelihood, it's not going to work out because it's too tailored to you and what you want to do and not what you need to do. As opposed to if there's a guy in your town that has run five or six marathons and you went to him and said, hey, I would love to run a marathon, you know, in six months, pick a day. And here's where I'm starting from. What would you do if you were me? You're going to get a cold, clear clinical plan that will sound pretty rough to you but it is almost guaranteed to get you where you want to go as long as you do the work. And so I much prefer if you want to accomplish something, either talk to or use as role models people who have accomplished that thing, not people who have been taught or trained to help teach you how to do so. I, I would much rather pick someone who has done it and learn from them. So if you're, you know, instead of a business coach that maybe just went to school, if there's a guy that you know that has started two or three successful businesses and you think, hey, he really knows this stuff, that's the guy to talk to. And the cool thing is now with all the tools we have available, you can connect with just about anybody you need to. You might not get the person you really want, but you can connect with really cool people just through social stuff who, if you ask nicely and you are willing to follow through on what they tell you, They'll help you all day long. I've, I've gotten more assistance from more people just by asking nicely and then being the guy that actually did what I was told I should try to do because then they feel good about the fact that they're helping you and they will continue to help you. Yeah. What's the biggest mistake? I mean, in, in, business, uh, in, in business, what's the big, biggest mistake you see companies and people making? 
Uh, is it the fact that they're not asking the right people or they're hanging out in their own little isolated world or? Wow, there's a bunch. Uh, I would say the biggest mistake, or let's, let's say the biggest mistake I made early on because I worked in manufacturing for 20 years and ran a plant, but I worked for a big company. And then I, I went out and tried to do my own thing and have successfully done my own thing. I shouldn't have said tried, but at first it felt just like trying. Um, I didn't realize that there were as many people out there that would be willing to help me if I asked as there were. So I thought I had to go it alone. I had to figure it out myself that if I did ask somebody for a little bit of advice or a little bit of guidance or anything that I was bothering them and that it was a pain. But if you think about when you ask someone for help and you do it sincerely, and if you're not asking, say, for money, but you're just saying, hey, you know something that I don't know, could you teach me really quickly? That's a flattering thing. We all like, the implication is, hey, you're smart. I would like to learn from you. Or, hey, you're talented or you're skillful. Could you tell me something? Could you teach me something? People like that because what you're basically saying is, hey, you're really good at this. And if you ask nicely and then if you listen and don't argue and don't say, well, yeah, that sounds really good, but I want to do it my way because that's what people often do. If you're good about it and you're appreciative, people will help you all day long. So I, I would say that that was the biggest thing that held me back for a while is that I had these problems or I would face these challenges and I would think, how do I do this? And I would muddle my way through it when had I asked someone who had been through that before, I could have gotten a lot farther, a lot faster. And there's something to be said too about, you know, asking for help. And I know when I, I know a lot of people reach out to me for help. Um, and there's something, you know, I always learn in teaching too. And oh, you know, the, the pay it forward principle is mutually beneficial in that, you know, when you're helping somebody, you learn something um, as well. Yep. Now, and, but what you can't do if you're asking people for help, not everyone has the inclination and not everyone, quite frankly, has the time to help all the people that ask for help. If you're, you know, if you're running around at trying to get a hold of Mark Cuban to ask him a question, you're waiting in a really, really long line. But most of the questions that most of us have to ask, they don't need to go to the Branson, Cuban, Bill Gates level. There are tons of people around who are really, really good at those things and who probably are better at teaching it than some of those other folks. So you just have to look. It's not hard. Understand that. So you, you, you've become uh, one of the more well-known influencers on, uh, on LinkedIn and one of the more accomplished you know, business writers. <laughs> yeah, but the the thing True. I find is that you've really it made me more. laugh. I'm sorry, it made me laugh because you know, I again, I'm decidedly average. So. I, well, <laughs> like I said, I like uh, I've read your I've read your writings for a long time, and 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 there's a couple I'm looking on my my whiteboard, and there's a couple taped up there. So oh, cool. Um, there you go. But well, I guess the point of that is that if if a guy like me can, you know, because I have I don't know, I average about a million seven. 100,000 readers on Inc. every month, and my LinkedIn stuff does well, and my book has done well. And so if a guy like me can do something like that, imagine what, if you're listening to this, imagine what you can do if you apply yourself, because I, again, I am decidedly average. It's all about effort and application and staying the course. Did you really become, when you started writing, was your goal to become the motivator? No. That you no, are? I, I just wanted to. I was working in manufacturing. I was running a plant. 
I kind of burned out on that and decided I wanted to do something different. I'd always been interested in writing, but I had no writing back. Only thing I'd written was stuff for work and no education or anything. But I thought this might be kind of fun. And so I, I did what I just described earlier. I said, well, I'll try this. I kept my job not stupid. Um, but I started picking up little jobs here and there and little projects and, and things that I could kind of cut my teeth on and learn how the business worked and gain some skill at writing. And that led to me doing books for other people, which was awesome. And I got to the point where I, this is what I did full time instead. And then I, I realized that, you know, the problem with ghostwriting, which is, I, it is a lucrative field and I really enjoy it, but it's really hard to, mo to market yourself because it's like Fight Club. You know, the first rule of Fight Club is you can't talk about Fight Club. Well, the first rule of ghostwriting is you can't talk about the people you've written for or what you've done, which makes it really hard to market yourself because you're standing in front of somebody saying, uh, I promise I'll do well. <laughs> and that's all you've got. That's all you've got to show. So I started writing for Inc. Um, just because it was actually my wife's idea, but it was just because if you read something I wrote on Inc. and you liked it and you happened to look at my bio and saw that I was a ghostwriter and needed a ghostwriter, maybe you would call me. And it worked out really well. And it, it is as if they pay me to advertise my ghostwriting stuff. But it's, it actually is a good chunk of revenue in itself because I do so well in terms of page views. Um, but then in the course of all of that that I just went through in too long-winded of a way, I found that I really enjoyed writing about and thinking about success, however you define that, because everybody's definition is different. Um, achieving goals, motivation, being happy, things that apply basically to all of us. And then that took me to the place that I described earlier, where I thought, wow, I've got all these people saying, you know, I can't find the motivation. And I've got all these successful people saying, I didn't wait for it. I created my own. You know, there's a gap here. And maybe I can help some folks who feel stuck to get unstuck. So it was an evolution, not something that I came up with overnight. So um, uh, obviously, I'm a, an executive recruiter, and yep. I talk to people all the time who have been downsized, fired, laid off, you know, whatever, you know, you know invited yep. to leave a company for whatever for whatever I've been, reason. I've, I've been invited to leave myself. We've we've, we've <laughs> both we've both been there. Um, yeah, you know, what do you tell people? What do you what do you tell people to to get beyond it? You know, to some, that's a that's a bigger shock than you know losing a family member. What uh, what do you tell people to get beyond that shock? This is such a cliche, but when I was asked to leave the company I had worked for for seventeen years, um, they let me leave. If that makes sense, <laughs> but if I had not agreed, then they would have made me leave. Um, but I grieved for quite a while because that was the only path that I saw. And I put so much time and effort into that path that I thought, wow, I've, I've just wasted 17 years. What will I do? You know, life is over. And then I just started looking for other things. And it didn't become apparent to me at the time. But after I found another job, did really well there. And then that actually made me realize that there were more things than just working for a big company, which sounds stupid, but that's actually how I thought. You know, big company, that's what you do. Uh, that's what actually got me to the point where I thought, you know, maybe I could do something for myself. And doing my own business is easily the best. It's the hardest thing I've done, but it's also the best thing I've ever done in terms of, both in terms of financially, but also lifestyle and everything else. So what I would say is, it sucks when you're out and the future is uncertain, but if you work hard 
and are flexible and adaptable and are willing to take a chance on yourself and say, this may not be perfect for me, but I'm going to make it perfect if you get offered something, then you will look back and say, you know what? I didn't want that to happen, but right now I'm glad it did happen because I made something of it. I don't believe in fate. I don't think things happen for a reason, but I think you can work hard to make them have happened for a reason, if that makes sense. Because yeah. you can control what happens, and then you can look back and say, hey, I'm glad that that happened because look what I am doing now. It, and it, it, it reminds you've me You've got to get out of the victim side and go to the, all right, this is my situation. I'll be a stoic philosopher. Life is all about how I respond. What will I do and how will I respond? It, it reminds me of this uh, entrepreneur out in Phoenix I met about 10 years ago, and he was in the process of buying a couple of business jets. And my question to him was, how did you get here? And his answer was, I got fired. My company thought I was too disruptive. So I started competing against him out of the back of my car. Yep. And, uh, and here he is now, you know, co-owner of the Phoenix Suns. He sits on a, a couple of boards and is a member of one of the largest private equity groups. And, and uh, it's amazing how many entrepreneurs uh, were born out of um, the involuntary exit. I think it's, you know, it's the old Michael Jordan story where Jordan would manufacture uh, reasons to be upset with somebody he was getting ready to play. You know, he would just make, he would, he would find some comment they'd made and somehow twist it into that they were disrespecting him and that would fuel him. And, and I, was, I was the same way. I, I left, I was hurt for a while, then I got mad and then I thought, you know what? I had only reached a certain level there. I'm going to go much farther than that somewhere else so that, not so that I will go back and tell people, hey, look at me now, but so that I can look in the mirror and say, hey, look at me now. And I think that's an excellent fuel. <clears throat> showing people that they were wrong or showing yourself that other people were wrong, I think that's awesome. That's, I, I do that all the time. And it sounds petty and juvenile, but if it works, hey. There you go. Well, hey, no, I think uh, that's sort of the the best the best way to come back is to is just to find success on your own. You know, you don't need us. You know, too many people are looking for other you know other you know, others' validation. I think. Yeah, the cool thing is if you start out saying "I'll show you," which is fine because it fuels you. When you get to the point where you could show them, you won't feel you need to anymore because you're long past it. And you're happy with where you are and the success that you have achieved in whatever it is you were trying to accomplish is enough for you that you feel good about yourself, which is what in the end is the best way to feel good. <laughs> you know, the reflection of others is interesting, but it lasts about a minute. But when you feel good about yourself, you carry that with you all the time. Great point. So, you know, of all the people that, you know, you've interviewed and, you know, through your career and uh, in your writings, um, is there one that really sticks out as somebody who has is, is done it right? I mean, you know, just you know, blown you away and said, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of those. That's tricky. Um, probably my f the one that popped to mind when you said I said, wow, is um, I talked to Roger Penske. <clears throat> you know, he owns all those yellow Penske trucks, the rental trucks, and he owns a bunch of car dealerships and an aircraft company. And I don't know, he's got tons of different things. I think he's, what is this? I think his company's all combined. It's either 85 or $125 billion a year they do in revenue. And he's 80 years old and he still runs race teams, fly. I think he spends 200 and some days a year on jets, like on his own jet, just flying to different places. 
but I was talking to him and I said, you know, how do you, I know you go and you visit all these things that you own. How do you actually keep your finger on the pulse though? Cause you're only there like a few hours and then you're gone for six months. <clears throat> and he picks out one small thing that would be the thing that gets the least amount of attention in a poorly run company. So for example, if he goes to a car dealership, Pete, I don't probably get the description wrong, but there's a part, there's an area in a car dealership where warranty parts, like the stuff, if you take your car in because it has a problem and it's under warranty and they take the part out and they replace it, they stick those parts in some part of the dealership before they ship them back. He'll go to that room and he'll look and see if it's organized, if things are clearly marked, you know, if that's well managed then he feels really sure that the rest of the place is well-managed because if you're doing that little thing right, you're probably doing a lot of the bigger things right too. And so I thought, you know, that's really cool. And it does kind of make you think about, all right, what little indicators are there for other people that if that person does this well, that probably means that they're paying attention to all that other stuff too. Um, I, I, I still carry that around with me and I, I try to do that when, if I do consulting stuff and I go into a, a plant, I'll think about what those things might be and I'll want to inspect that first because that will tell you a lot about how the rest of the place is run. And it, it comes back, I guess, to that line about characters, what you do when no one's watching. <laughs> and so from a business sense, if you're doing things well that no one really watches or seems to care about, then you're probably doing the stuff they care about really, really well. So the details really do matter. Oh, yeah. I, I asked him, I said, I, he laughed. It's the only time I got him to laugh because he's a pretty serious guy. But I said, you know, if you're driving somewhere and you see one of your trucks ride by, you know, does it kind of make you smile? Because it would me. You know, if I saw one of my vehicles ride by that I was, I was a part of, it'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. That's my company. And he said, yeah, it does. He said, but then immediately I'll look at the back and make sure all their stickers and certifications and stuff are on there because he can't let go of the details. But <laughs> hey, the, that's how you do that. <clears throat> who's the best leader you've met? Who do you think is the, uh, you know, someone who stands out is, you know, and one of the better leaders and why, or is that just a great example of leadership? Um, that's a different type of leadership. Uh, when I talked to Richard Branson, I was in New York and I went to the Virgin offices there and, he's a, he's the, Penske is the detail, you know, things, things get done right, leading the ship that way kind of guy. Branson is kind of that charismatic leader where you can tell when he's around that everyone just lifts, but he doesn't do it by like speeches and, you know, shaking his fist in the air and stuff. It's just, I don't know, for some reason, he just connects with people really well. And you can tell that, you know, I saw him talk to somebody that, I think he said he'd talked to like two years before, but he still, he knew their name. He remembered when he met them before. He remembered some little detail about them. And, you know, they walked away like almost bouncing because it's like, wow, Richard, remember me even all, after all that time? So <clears throat> that, that was really impressive to me uh, that he was able to hold all that in his head and make people feel good about themselves. And, you know, it's that old line about people aren't going to, care about what you say until they know that you care about them first and he was he was a really really good example of that Does he but there's a lot of ways to skin the leadership cat you know you don't everybody you can be yourself and as long as you're good at what you do and you make people feel like they want to work with you then you're going to go a long way 
Does uh, does Richard break things down into little pieces? Is, no. Uh, did he- <laughs> no, heck no. <laughs> Richard is, out of, this is just my impression, but out of all the people that I have talked to that run big companies, he is the biggest of the big picture guys. You know, he's at the very high level where he's just going to say, hey, uh, let's do this in some, I, I'm trying to think of an example and I struggled, but, you know, it would be, you know, if it's back when Virgin, do they still have mobile? I don't know. They were into cell phones and, and mobile stuff for a while, but he would be the guy that said, you know what, let's, uh, let's do no, you know, annual contracts. And that would be his contribution. And then the group below would figure it all out. But he's really good at figuring out what would make his brands different and what would make them stand out and what would make people think, you know what, I want to be part of that, not part of something else. He's really good at that side of it. And then he's really good at finding people that can execute. So you, uh, you and I are both, we're both self-employed. Mm-hmm. You're an entrepreneur. What do you find the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur? Early on, I would have said that it was a little bit of a switch to go from being paid by someone to, you know, you have the only revenue that you get is the revenue you earn. And by that, I mean, you know, if you have a regular job or if you have a job, some weeks you can work really hard and some weeks you can coast a little bit, but you're still going to get paid the same amount. And that doesn't happen in the entrepreneurial world. And so it didn't take me long, but it did take a little bit of switching over to say, you know what? Revenue generation is, that's everything. And that's got to be my primary focus. And I can't coast and I can't do things that are nice to do, but that don't generate revenue. Whereas in a big company, there are a lot of functions that are, they're kind of nice to have. But if you were hurting, those were the things that you would get rid of. Uh, That was probably the early on the hard part. Then the challenge after that is that you switch over from that mindset of, you know, hey, if it is to be, it's up to me. And then you start to become your own worst boss. And I'm the worst boss I ever had because as a boss, I'm really demanding. (laughs) And I expect more and more and more out of the employee that is me. Um, And you can find yourself sooner or later looking around and saying, wow, I have taken on a lot. (laughs) And, And that's a good problem to have, but it is also a problem too. So finding that balance of, let me make this sustainable. Let me make this work financially, but then also how can I make sure that it is sustainable because you don't want to kill yourself? Um, That is an interesting thing. And one of the ways that I accomplished that was to try to find ways to bring interests that I have, personal interests, into like my business side. So the things that I do, like, you know, I, I pick out people who have, who are successful and who feel that fitness is a part of their success, not because they're athletes, but because it helps them both physically and mentally. And I do their workouts for a week. Well, I enjoy that kind of thing, but then I can write about it, which is my business. And so I found ways to weave my personal stuff into the business side, which is not always possible for everyone. Um, but I found ways to make that work for me. So how would you tell a person at, you know, Procter & Gamble, Boeing, a big company that really has that entrepreneurial spirit to start to find that entrepreneurial, you know, that inner entrepreneur in them and make uh, that transaction, that transition. So if you're, if you're talking about going from working from, say, a big company to doing your own thing? Yep. As, okay. Uh, the first thing I always say, and it gets lost with a lot of people, is if you are interested in that, 
the first thing you do is make sure that you are, pardon the language, but that you are kicking ass at your primary job. Because too many people start to get interest, they start a side hustle, and that becomes, that's really fun, and it's different, and it's new, and so they let their primary job drift a little bit, which both is unfair to your employer, it's unfair to you, and it's just the wrong way to go into it. So the first thing is to say, you know what, I'm going to be great at what I do, I'm going to be maybe even better than I was before. Then start working on your side hustle, and the biggest thing to me is to to take the concept of me time, you know, where everybody wants a little bit of me time and switch how you think of that and not have it be me time means I'll just veg out because I just need time to chill. Me time will actually be my side hustle where I'm going to spend my, my discretionary time building something that I want to become something someday that will change my life and let me lead a different life, <clears throat> which to me is a perfect definition of me time. Me time shouldn't be wasted time. Me time should be time that takes you somewhere that you want to go. Um, and so do really well at your primary job, find something you're interested in, prove out that it actually is a business and not just a hobby, prove to yourself that you're willing to actually do the work that's involved <clears throat> because you know, a big company, you get to do certain things and there are all these other functions that take, get taken care of. In your own business, everything falls to you and you may not like some of those everythings and you need to find that out. So prove it to yourself, both that there is a business and that it is the right business for you. And then when you get to that point where your little needle is kind of bouncing in the middle where where you say, you know what, if I put more time into this, then I can see that I could generate more revenue and I can get to the point where I can replace what I was doing or at least make it work, then you can jump out. But some, many people will say, you've just got to go all in because that's the only way you'll try really hard. And I don't know, if, to me, if you're not willing to try hard when it's your side hustle, what's going to make you try hard when it's all in? Yeah, so, I mean, and, and it's too risky to do that because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know until you start doing it. So find out. Yep. I, 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 I do a lot of, you know, I do a blog for transitioning military officers oh. and enlisted people. Yep. And the, the one thing I try to tell them is, hey, you really don't know what you don't know. So you got to go out and discover it piece by piece. Yeah, we have a, a, a guy that uh, we live in Virginia Beach and bunch of naval bases nearby and we're redoing a couple of bathrooms and one of the guys is he's still in the navy but he's stationed there for i think a year and so nights and weekends he's doing construction stuff because he wants to when he gets out of the navy he would like to be a contractor and so he's doing it nights and weekends and figuring it out and one night we sat at my table for about an hour and a half and we talked business stuff because he's really good at the craft but he doesn't know that much about the business side and, and I was willing to help him. Um, but it's a perfect example of figure out whether you really want to do this and whether you like everything that's involved and can do everything that's involved before you just leap on out there. I know too many people that have said, wow, this would be really fun. I'm just going to jump into it and I'll, you know, determination will see me through and determination does see them through to where they are generating the right amount of revenue, but they hate what they're doing because they never did it long enough to figure out if it was right. Understand. So what's, um, so uh, once again, I loved your book. How's it, uh, how's it doing for you? Good. I'm, I have a reasonable platform 
And so it did pretty well right out of the gate, but I'm more of a long haul kind of guy with most, most things that I do. So it's chugging along very nicely and, and actually picking up more steam. So I, you know, most books launch and say, if, if you're charting a graph, that's kind of your high point. And then it falls down and just kind of dribbles. Mine went down the roller coaster for a bit, but now I'm, I'm heading back up another hill, so to speak, um, which is kind of the way that I wanted it to be. Um, Cause I think that things that, do well over time or better than one that just makes a splash and disappear. Um, so, so far, so good. Sure. What's, uh, is there going to be a, a second edition? You, you thinking about the next book? Yeah, but the problem is that, you know, I write for myself, obviously, but I do stuff for other people. And I took on a couple of really cool projects for this year, in addition to a lot of the other stuff that I do. And so when my book is done well and my publisher said, you know, hey, this is going really well, what's next? And I'm like, wow, I've kind of overcommitted. <laughs> so, and, you know, what I've committed to for other people should always come before whatever I commit to for myself, because that is how you build a business. So I've, I've got to figure that out. So it may, <clears throat> there may be a little bit of a gap, but nonetheless, that's okay. It's a good problem to have. What are the, what are the, what are the projects you enjoy the most? Is it biographies? Is it helping other executives right there? You know, they're, uh, they're how to's what, uh, where do you, what do you, where do you learn the most? I, I like practical, useful, actionable, real world, you know, how can I actually use this to make my life better in whatever fashion that may be, whether it's business or personal or fitness or health or whatever it is, that is my favorite thing. And I, I most enjoy when I get to work with people who, have different ideas about that or who have managed to cut through a bunch of stuff that was kind of cluttered for me and just come up with this one little line of, here's how I look at that. And you go, wow, that works really well. I can apply that all the time. I, one of my favorite examples is, and I think it's in my book, uh, Herb Kelleher, the Southwest Airlines CEO. He, sure. looks, at, he looks at all the decisions that he makes and he, he kind of frames them through one little question. He says, will this make Southwest Airlines, the low-cost provider. If it will, then it's something that they will explore. If it won't, even if it seems like a really great idea, it's not something they're going to focus on, and he can just say no. And that one question idea can be applied to a lot of things you know, in life, especially if you're trying to withstand, say, a temptation. So if you're on a diet and you decide you want a second piece of cake, if you just say to yourself, hmm, would a person who's trying to lose 10 pounds eat a second piece of cake? Well, no. <laughs> so there you go. And if you apply that lens to, you know, would a person who wants to run a marathon miss his workout today? No. You know, would a, I don't know if it's you, would a, a great recruiter fail to follow up with a lead? No. You know, and so if you apply those, that simple question to stuff, decisions get really easy to make as opposed to when you kind of clutter them up. So I think I answered your question in a really long way, but I love talking to people who have found a way to, to make something that seems complex, actually really simple. And that's why they're able to execute so well because their, their path is simple. No, I love that. And I think there's a big thing to be, you know, Herb's, um, Herb's philosophy is a, is a great life lesson. You know, if it's not going to make me a better person, business executive, husband, wife, you know, father, parent, whatever, you know, why do it? Um, it? It's also a great prioritizer because we're all, 
all of us are capable of having multiple things going on at the same time, but that doesn't mean it's good for you. And it doesn't mean it's good for whatever your primary goal might be. And so if you, if you boil it down to where am I really trying to go, then when you ask that question, it can sift through a lot of that stuff. I, I, there was a period where I was getting a lot of requests from people to write things or to appear on radio show, shows or TV shows or different things like that. And it was all in, the, all in the context of, wouldn't this be great, quote unquote, exposure for you? And I did it for a while. And then I realized that, wait a minute, I don't really need the exposure. I'm doing really well. What I need to do is be, is to generate output because <laughs> that's where I make my money. And so I finally, as I, as I started to look at those, I would say, okay, will this help me generate more revenue this year, this month, whatever period of time? If the answer is no, well then I don't need to be doing it because I've got other things I should be focusing on. And it, it cleared out a lot of clutter for me that I was struggling with because everyone says, you know, exposure's great. You need to enhance your brand and all that other stuff. And, you know, brands come from output. Brands don't come from packaging. Brands come from your output. The people that work with you, they want to work with you because of what you have been able to do for them, not because of the fact that you've been on, you know, three blogs and two podcasts and somebody's TV show. The, uh, you just, that, that's a great, that's a great point right there. Um, I think the buzzword today is build your brand. Yep. And I think what you're saying is the best brands are built by you know, successfully accomplishing what you promise you're yep. going to accomplish. Yep. I, all the, when I was getting started ghostwriting, especially my best projects and most of my work came from word of mouth where someone had, I had done something for somebody and they recommended me to someone else. Partly was, that was because it was really hard to, to market in any other way but also because when you do what you said you were going to do and you do it well, people will talk about you and people will want to work with you because that's what we're all looking for. That's so I promised, um, I promise, I know you're busy. Um, a lot of projects going on and I promise you we keep this to, to 45 minutes. Um, you know, as people pick up your book, what is the one or two, what are the one or two things that you really hope that they walk away from, you know, with, with positive, positive thoughts? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that in a slightly different way. And I guess what I, what I would love to just say period, whether you read my book or not, is that we are all capable. Sounds cliched, but I know it to be a fact because again, I'm decidedly average. We are all capable of a lot more than we think. It's all just a matter of trying. I have met again, tons of really successful people, and you think that they have this special something that you do not have, and they don't. They may be a little smarter or a little more this or a little more that, but they have weaknesses that you don't have. The difference is they have applied themselves to something, and they have gained some skill, or they have managed to accomplish something really cool because they worked at it. And so if you have things you want to do and you want to accomplish whatever they may be, you can do them if you put your head down and do the work. And you may not get 100% to where you want to go, but you'll probably get 90, which is great compared to the zero that you will get if you don't try it all. So that, again, if I've, I've gotten to do some really cool things and I'm as average as they come. So if I can do that, then imagine what you can do if you try hard. 
Love it. That's a great uh, that's a great place to step off. Jeff, uh, let's see, jeffhayden.com is the yep. best way to, to get a hold that's of you? Fine. Yep, or I'm on Inc. If you go to Inc.com and search my name, there's about 1,600 articles. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, and I actually do respond to people. <laughs> it may take me a few days, um, but I actually do respond to people. And so if you want to connect or you have questions or, or other stuff, then I'm always happy to do so. Hey, I certainly appreciate you uh, you being here today. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the time. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 